Welcome to the Locked On Steelers podcast. I'm your host, Chris Carter, bringing you your daily dose of all things on the Pittsburgh Steelers. It's Friday, March 20th. We've made it to the weekend, y'all. So I'm going to help you get through your final day at work if you're at work or if you're just sitting there at home as most of America is right now. But we've got stuff to talk about. We've got the Steelers making another move in free agency, bringing back Stefan Wiz- Stefan Wiz- Wisniewski. Not bringing him back as a Steeler, but he's a local Pittsburgher. Going to dive all into that with the first segment. We had to do some cleanup of the show because we had a, we had a, a special guest, Josh Taylor, um, from 93.7 The Fan and KDKA TV here in Pittsburgh. He will join me for the second and third segment. We break down other moves the Steelers need to make as well as talk about some of the bigger news happening around the NFL. Let's get into it. All right, everyone, happy Friday. Thanks for joining the show. If you're listening to the show and you like what you hear, please hit that subscribe button as well as leave a five-star review on uh, Apple Podcasts. Those things really help me get the word out about the show. You can find me, Chris Carter, uh, at Carter Critiques on Twitter. Um, we we post this podcast everywhere. It's Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, the new slash not really new Himalaya app, all that good stuff right there. But let's dive right into the news uh, just want to let you know this is uh, just to have some transparency with the uh, with 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 today's show. I it was I pre-recorded an entire episode with uh, Josh Taylor, who's our special guest that will come up in the next and the, the the final two segments of the show. But we had to cut part of that, and uh, some of it you'll know is kind of uh, predating the Stefan the Stefan Wisniewski signing, which is what we're going to be talking about um, for the most part. So pardon uh, the, the abruptness of the show, but I wanted to make sure that we got this into the show. So I went back and edited and threw this segment in before. So let's dive into who Stefan Wisniewski is and what happened, what you're probably thinking, what you're talking about, Chris. Um, but, uh, when you when you look at Stefan Wisniewski, he the Steelers signed this guy to a two year contract. He's an interior offensive lineman. He plays guard and center. He's a two time Super Bowl champion, coming from the Chiefs and the Eagles. Uh, you know he uh, he's he's played a little bit with the Raiders, but this is a guy who he's made some money in the NFL. He's he's won two Super Bowls. He's a Penn State alumnus, but most importantly, he's a Pittsburgh native. And uh, late last night, he basically he he brought it forward. He he said he said, "Hey Pittsburgh, um, I'm coming home." And I'm coming to win. And he's pointing to his Steelers hat. It, it's kind of crazy. This guy's been part of two Super Bowl teams. Now, he's never been the, the, the driving force, but he's always been a solid player. He's very good in pass protection, very good in communication, making sure that he's on beat with the rest of the offensive line. And this seems like the kind of pick, this or the signing, that Kevin Colbert always does. Finding the, the finding those guys that everyone else might have ignored with the first round of free agency, not spending too much to get him. Um, and, uh, this is a guy legitimately, he could be a starter right, right here, right now. Matt, Matt Filer was looking to take over the left guard position. Now you're in a position where, you know what? You find a guy that can back up Marquise Pouncey. You, you find a guy that can play guard and probably shift between the guard positions if need be. Um, and Filer can still do that for you at guard and tackle. Uh, so the Steelers, but this, this might be a much bigger move than many people, uh, anticipate the way that I look at the, uh, the way I look at this, uh, at at this pre at this at this free agency period, a lot of people are going to be looking at, uh, you know, big players and you know playmakers. But this was something that needed to happen. The departure of B.J. Finney did leave them a hole in, inside the offensive line. They needed to find someone who could fill in different spots, and now they have it. If you want to go look up Wisniewski tape, uh, you could just look at the two Super Bowls he's played in. Uh, he, he, in fact, it was it was it was crazy. I was just watching on NFL Network 
uh, either I think it was yesterday or the day before they had the uh, the Eagles Patriots Super Bowl on, and uh, you know I was looking like, oh, where's Newski? Yeah, he's a free agent. You know, it'd be cool to have him back. And now, boom, he's right here for the Steelers, um, and he brings a winning experience. He knows what it's like to be part of good organizations. This is a really comfortable signing for the Steelers. It also settles down the market for them and forces them to not have to maybe take an early stab at the interior offensive line position, considering, again, I think that Cushenberry and Ruiz are going to be gone by the time they get there. And even if they're there now, it doesn't force their hand to say, hey, we got to draft one of these guys because we don't have anyone behind Pouncey, Filer, and, uh, and, and DeCastro. Uh, now they do have a guy there, and maybe, and maybe Filer is the guy behind them and now you can maybe draft a guy in the fourth, fifth, and sixth rounds that says, hey, you know what, you're going to fill in, or just have a camp body do that. So really cool stuff there. I think that the Steelers are on the right track um, as far as what they're trying to do. And I still wouldn't rule out them signing uh, you know, another player here or there. Um, uh, because they, you know, this, this signing, uh, we're still waiting for the, for, for the, for the details of the deal. All we know is that it's a two year deal, which to me may be one of those, uh, Dante Moncrief, uh, Mark Barron type of deals where first year you come pretty cheap. Second year, if you play really well, they'll keep you and pay you a little bit more, um, but uh, I'd still anticipate the Steelers maybe adding another, maybe a defensive tackle, maybe an inside linebacker, maybe a safety, um, you know, and not all of those positions, but at least two of those, and, and, and at a cheap price. But Wisniewski, if you're looking down, if if you're if you're a, a free agency uh, nut like uh, like like I am, and if you look at different rankings. Um, you could you could you'd probably look right to if you look to uh, Pro Football Focus's free uh, agency tracker and where they kind of ranked interior offensive linemen. Wisniewski comes after like the first herd of people. Um, they rank him as the 144th best uh, free agent in this in this class. But um, as far as when it comes to guards, he's around that like just outside that top that, that top five range. He's around I think he's ranked like seventh. Um, but you know, he, again, he's about to be 31 years old for this season. That's the that's a that's a good age for an offensive lineman. It doesn't and it's not a long term commitment. It doesn't force the Steelers to do anything they don't want to do. And now you kind of resettle that offensive line so that there's balance. Um, it gives Ben Roethlisberger a veteran to work with, a guy that can take on multiple pass change calls and not confuse guys. Because that's the issue when you get a young guy in that position. Um, and, and there's some young guys who are very smart and take that on. But a huge part of what Ramona Foster's role was is he would help relay stuff down the line for the Steelers if you remember uh whenever they were on the road you'd see you'd see Ramon Foster everyone would be down Ramon Foster would be the last one to look and then he would slap Marquise Pouncey and that was and that was part of their silent their silent count uh and and getting their reps in and making sure they were on the same cadence and he was a huge part of that Wisniewski is a guy who can fill that type of role so that's what we're. That, that's what I'm talking about when I'm talking about the the the, the role of a, of a veteran and what he can bring to the interior offensive line. Um, and I know this may seem boring to some of you all because some people are like, oh, I want a playmaker. I want the big. I want a. I want a safety. I want someone that's going to create turnovers or score touchdowns. But this is the kind of stuff that helps solidify teams. That's going to be quiet. That's going to pay off later on. Now, you know, I mean, he can get hurt. That can possibly happen. But ultimately. This is a. I see this as a good signing. I see this as as not overextending yourself, doing kind of the things the kind of the Steeler way, and this will be something that we look back on and probably like. And also, again, local dude. You know, when you when you look at his when you look at his profile, um, he's 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 a proud Pittsburgher. Um, he's he's one that people um ha, have have talked have talked about before. Um, 
you know, and you know, he, again, he played for Penn State, so he didn't go too far away, and he played he played for the Eagles. Um, but uh, you know, he's he went to Central Catholic, which is one of the more major uh, high schools in Pittsburgh. Uh, if you don't know, there's there's a lot there's a lot that's where that, that, that's where um, Mark Bulger went 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 to high school. That's where Dan Marino went went to high school. So uh, there's there's a lot of Pittsburgh prospects that have gone through Central Catholic. Um, so big, uh, big, t- big time move for the Steelers, getting the local guy. That's going to be a fan favorite, I think right away, as well as, um, being a guy that can actually contribute to what they're doing and knows how to, ha- knows how to be successful in the NFL. All right. So we're going to jump to our first break, but like I said, uh, excuse the, the production here because, uh, I, I did record an entire show with Josh Taylor. Um, so the next two segments are going to be two of the segments that we did together. Uh, Josh is a really good friend of mine. He's, he does TV and, and radio here in Pittsburgh. Um, he's, a, he's been the man in it for quite some time. So we're going to talk some, talk, talk some Steelers football and some national football right after this. All right, we're back now. It's time to bring in my friend, sports reporter, He's on 93.7 The Fan. He's on KDKA-TV, uh, Channel 2 here in Pittsburgh, City League alumnus. Joshua Taylor is on the show, ladies and gentlemen. He's a good friend of mine. Josh, thanks for joining me, man. Good good to talk to you, man. And just as a show of solidarity, I'm actually rocking a Shinley sweatshirt right now, so I, I had to represent. That, so that, City League all day, City League that, all day. That, that, that's awesome. I still got all the nice T-shirts. I still got my jersey, man. I still got my jersey hung wow. up in the in the closet. I don't, I, I, you know, I, I don't pull that out. And you know, maybe I, the girlfriend sometimes wears that with you know occasionally. But um, wow, yeah. But uh, you know, and then I got my Letterman jacket. But so that that's awesome, Excellent. man. And and uh, definitely respect Shenley and everything. So so for those who guys, for those who don't know. Uh, Josh and I are both part of the City League, which was like the that's the that's the actual inner city schools of Pittsburgh. Um, so we we go way back in, in that department. But uh, Josh Josh also hosts uh, this uh, what, what's it called? the Sunday morning show on the Fan the Sunday the, morning grind every Sunday morning, Sunday grind, morning seven a.m. Yes, and so if you're if you're ever in Pittsburgh or even if you're not in Pittsburgh, you can use the Radio.com app. You can check him out on Sunday mornings. He does a great show. Whatever he has me on occasionally. But Josh, let's get into the Steelers right now. Um, you, you, you saw the signings, you know, I've been pontificating and, and basically going over day to day what the Steelers have done, considering the players that, that have been let go. They, they lost Roosevelt Knicks. They lost BJ Finney. They got Derek Watt. Um, they, they, they threw tenders on Filer and uh, Hilton. What's been your readout on the Steelers approach to, to the, to free agency so far? I think there were things that they knew were going to happen. I, I get the feeling that they expected BJ Finney to go on his way. I, I get kind of get that feeling that that was bound to happen. I think they knew um, that there was a chance that they would probably not keep guys like Anthony Ciccolo and Mark Barron around because they had been saying for so long that Bud Dupree was a priority. So we, I think we expected that. I think the Roosevelt Knicks thing is the thing that probably catches a lot of people off guard. But if you're paying attention to what Roosevelt Knicks' role was, with this team, not just as the fullback, but his role in special teams and everything else that he does, not to mention other guys who contributed on special teams like Anthony Ciccolo. Now you get a Derek Watt in there who not only is a more durable, I guess you could say, or more reliable fullback as far as being available, but he also does a few different things in special teams. So now you get an even bigger value by bringing this one guy in 
as opposed to keeping the other guy there. So it looks bad that, oh, they let Rosie Nix go. Yeah, you're right. Of course it looks bad because they're bringing in one fullback for another. And yes, he happens to be TJ Watt's brother. Okay, that's true. Like, let's let's stop the whole, would he be signed if he wasn't TJ's brother? Maybe, maybe not. We know the Steelers value pedigree when it comes to free agents, when it comes to draft picks. It's not like it's that big of a shock. But at the same time, you're getting better value out of a player who does a little bit more than the previous guy did. And I think the contract spells it out. And even when you look at it, as far as the numbers go, you, you probably get shocked by it. But when you understand the total value, I think it'll even itself out over time, especially if Derek Watt stays as healthy as they need him to be. Um, on the other side of it, when I look at them keeping guys like Matt Filer and also keeping Zach Banner, you go, okay, they're at least trying to keep as much of this offensive line group together because – Keeping B.J. Finney would have been a great thing, would have been great to have him. But you knew with the way B.J. Finney has filled in and played, you, you knew there was a chance that he was going to get some decent money to go somewhere else. And it's not the first time it's happened. We saw it happen with Chris Hubbard. Chris Hubbard had been that guy who had filled in and played a couple different positions and played well when he got the opportunity to. And it was either a chance to stay in Pittsburgh as a backup or get more money elsewhere and go to Cleveland. And so that's what he did. He got his money. He went to Cleveland. So BJ Finney getting his money to go elsewhere doesn't surprise me at all. I think when you get to the, the bottom of it, I think when you really understand what they're trying to do here, I thought keeping Mike Hilton was really important. I know you and I have talked a lot about Mike Hilton um, over the past couple of years. And I thought that he had, a very distinct value as a slot corner. And I thought keeping him was important because he is one of their best playmakers on that defense. And, you know, people can say what they want about what this guy's numbers are, what that guy's numbers are. Mike Hilton has been one of their most consistent and reliable playmakers over the past three seasons. So keeping him around with this defense, knowing how good they were this past season, I thought was really, really important. And now you're not really disrupting anything as uh, in terms of with that defensive backfield. Most of those guys stay together. The thing that does hurt though, is when you lose a Javon Hargrave. I have been a Javon Hargrave guy since I projected him to the round in the mm. mock draft the year he got drafted. I was like, they're going to get this Hargrave kid. They really like him. Here's what they're going to do it. And that was one of the draft picks that I absolutely nailed. And I really, from the first time I saw him in training camp that year as a rookie, I'm like, I really like what this guy does. And this past season, when Stefan Tua went down, and you started seeing more of Javon Hargrave on the even front, you learn what his true value really was. So when he got paid to go to Philly, it's like, hey, you tip your hat. It's respect. I thought the guys on the team handled it well. I thought Cam Hayward was really complimentary of Hargrave, you know, with him getting the deal that he got. Because A, you know, you want to see your guys do well, especially if you have a good relationship with them. And B, Hargrave deserved it. He earned it. I thought he right. was worth the money that Philly gave him. And you knew he was going to be worth more in the open market just because of what he showed that he can do. And he's really an undersized guy by defensive line standards in the NFL, but he doesn't play like it. And when you have that kind of value and when you play to the level that he played, especially this past season, doing his job well in the base and then filling in for Stefan to it in the, the sub package, you knew he was going to have a higher value. So when it all came around to it, I think the only real surprise to me was bringing in Derek Watt. Everything else, you kind of figured what happened one way or another, just because we weren't really sure, you know, how things would go 
with TJ Watt being signed, but they managed to get that priority done. They brought him in. They restructured a bunch of contracts, so they freed up a bunch of cap room. They still might do that because uh, Cam Hayward is is his possible extensions being being discussed. You imagine if that happens, they'll move some of that money off this year's contract, and it'll probably free up some more cap room to do that. Right. So they're actually in a much better place, I think, cap wise than we expected them to be with no, everything they've done. And and no, honestly. I- to, to bring all the moves that they brought in and to be in this kind of good crap room too, that's the surprising part for me. Well, see, that's the thing is that I've, I've always told people, and, and it's funny, we, we for, for, for all you listening, it, people remember that I did a, this ultimate division crossover week where I, I was on for five straight days with the, the, the Bengals podcast of Locked On Bengals, Locked On Ravens, and Locked On Browns. And, and, you know, a lot of guys are like, man, you know, there's no way you can keep Bud Dupree. There's no way you can keep anybody. You have no cap space and Ben Roethlisberger stinks and all this other stuff. And I'm just like, listen, this is what the Steelers do every time they want to reload. There's mm-hmm. never a time period where you can see that they just dumped all these players. Now, they'll dump old players. That they think like, hey, we got to move on from this guy like Joey Porter when he left Pittsburgh in two, after 2006. You know, right. a lot of people are really sad about that. But that's because they knew they had James Harrison waiting in the wings. Um you know, you know, Troy Polamalu when he retired, you know, there's there's things like that. But rarely do you see the Steelers have to dump a really good player. Now, Javon Hargrave is an example of that really good player that they had to let go. But also when you look at the guys ahead of him, you were talking about Cam Hayward, first team all pro interior defensive lineman. He, mm-hmm. He's the guy among all the players in the league. The only player that, that that's clearly above him, uh, according to the, uh, the the Associated Press this year, was Aaron Donald. When you're in that kind of status, you're 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 good. And Stephon. Absolutely. When he was, you know, before he got hurt, he was on that kind of a pace. So to have those two guys, it's like you can't afford to pay Javon Hargrave all that money when you got those two guys ahead of him. Um, so that's just that's just part of how how that goes. Um, but you know, I, I just I think I think people underestimate how strong this organization is, and this was another free agency period that definitely highlighted that. Yeah, it, it, I think one thing we underestimate, and this is something you mentioned, you know, they do this every year. They are very skilled at being able to manipulate the cap. They know how to handle this. They know how to restructure deals. They know how to move money. We saw them do. We saw them do it a couple times with Ben Roethlisberger. We've seen them do it with Cam Hayward before. We've seen them do it with Antonio Brown. It, it, it's one of those situations where it's really, it's really beneficial to both sides. The team frees up more cap room as far as base salary. The players get it paid out as a bonus. Both people really win in this particular situation. So when you're able to do that, it makes it a lot easier for the team to conduct business that way. Because now you're put in a position where instead of needing money to get things you want done, you have now freed it up. You're able to do what you want. And at the same time, you also free up plenty of space, and this is not even counting what you do in the draft. It's not counting what you do with undrafted free agents. It's not counting what you do with trades if you decide to make any. You're now in a much better place of flexibility, and it's not like this is something they just discovered. They've been doing this for a long, long time. Yep. They have become very talented and very gifted at you know kicking the proverbial can down the road, so to speak, but they're able to do that and still keep – a roster pretty much stocked up and they're able to do it while building depth at the same time. And that's the part that's even harder to do when you're trying to maintain all these salaries that you have of guys that you had so long. And then you're trying to build depth in the process. You better know how to manipulate the cap because it's so hard to do that and keep talent churning in, especially when you're trying to draft talent and plug these guys in and hope they stick. So it's one thing to do it on one side when you're plugging the talent in, it's another thing to retain them as long as they can and retain as, retain as much prime talent as possible and stay under the cap to do it. 
I agree entirely. All right, we're guys, we're going to take a quick break here. When we come back, we'll be talking about, you know, more about what Steelers, what moves the Steelers can make moving forward to address things in the rest of the free agency period. Okay, we're back. Uh, Josh, so let's talk about some, some of the national news that happened. The big splash today, or yesterday rather, was that the Eagles traded to get Darius Slay from the Detroit Lions. Darius Slay, one of the top cornerbacks in the league. Um, uh, so there's a few things to read off of this. One, the Eagles needed someone in the secondary. They finally made an, an, a, a, a huge move to get their guy. But Darius Slay came out afterwards and had some words for uh, his former coach, Matt, Matt Patricia, basically roasted him and talking about, you know, just basically going at his management skills and how he's been handling the team, um, which I thought was very interesting because uh, on yesterday's show, I went all out against Bill O'Brien and how he handled DeAndre Hopkins and with the Michael Irvin story from with DeAndre Hopkins and how that played out. I mean, even if that isn't all the way true, I've, I've had problems with Bill O'Brien's uh, handling of several situations in the NFL. Now you have Matt Patricia, you know, being at odds with, with his best player, with who is by far his best player in, in, in Darius Slay. Now I'm looking at like, man, this is back-to-back week, back-to-back days, not even weeks, back-to-back days that we've seen former, you know, former Bill Belichick assistants in the out, out there that have these head coaching jobs and they're beefing with these with these superstar players that they can't control. And meanwhile, they're not really winning. You know, Matt Patricia hasn't done anything with Detroit. Bill Bond mm-hmm. hasn't done anything with the Texans. Um, is is this a thing? Oh wow, I'm stealing your segment. Is this a <laughs> thing? <laughs> I think it's a thing. I totally think it's a thing. <laughs> It, it's wild because I, I think you lay this out perfectly. And, and here's what's odd. What's odd is the Bill O'Brien thing. I don't think people were really upset that he traded DeAndre Hopkins. Because once you found out afterwards the relationship between the two, you're like, okay, sometimes you have to make that amenable break. Sometimes you have to make that break up. Sometimes it's just better for both sides. I think it was the nature of the trade and what they got back in return. It's like, wait a minute. You traded that dude and got this back? Mm-hmm. And you look at some of the other trades that Houston's made, you're like, wait a minute. You traded this, 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 and this and got this in return? What, what's going on here? Like, if I'd like to think that Pirates fans might relate to Texans fans right now. Because Pirates fans are going, we've seen some terrible trades. And one of them actually involved Houston, which is kind of ironic, but there's that. <laughs> but <laughs> when you, you look at that from the Bill O'Brien side, you're going, I think a lot of people just killed him because of the trade. But then afterwards it comes out what his relationship with Hopkins was. And that just made it 10 times worse. And you're like, oh, that, that just, that really kind of buries him. But on the Matt Patricia side of it, we had already seen some weird things with Matt Patricia. We heard some of the things that Matt Patricia was saying to reporters after games about like, you know, where they were sitting and how they were asking questions. And it's just like, really, dude, you really think you could control that environment just because you're a head coach? It, it was really, really odd. And then you saw, you know, the the public and then maybe not so public and then total disappearance of the courting of Josh McDaniels at the end of last season. Where was he going to end up? What job was he going to get? Was he going to get this job? Was he going to get that job? And then you remind yourself, wait a minute, did he actually agree to a job with the Colts and then leave at the 13th hour? You know, this is a dude that went to Denver and really did not accomplish much because he drafted Tim Tebow and never really got the most out of him. So what, what, are, we, what are we to think? You know, when you when you look <laughs> at this continuing history, when it comes to, to Bill Belichick assistance, 
you're like, who's going to be the one that finally bucks the trend? Because right now it's not working out too well. I, I will say one guy who's probably put himself in a different position to maybe buck that trend. I'm curious to see what Brian Flores does with that Dolphins roster in the next two years. He might actually be the guy that bucks the trend. But right now, Patriots assistants, former Bill Belichick assistants, they're trending downward. I think this is a thing. Uh, it certainly looks like it. And, and in general, I don't think there's been a Patriot assistant that has really blown up anywhere. You know, you know no. Charlie Weiss went to Notre Dame and stunk. Uh, mm-hmm. Romeo Crennel has bounced around the league. He's had some smaller successes, but ultimately no Bill Belichick uh, underling has gone somewhere and had supreme, supreme success and, and replicated what he's been able to do. Um, and, and I see this, this, this similar thing theme because Bill Belichick has always come off as the guy that I don't really depend on superstars. I can build with anybody as long as Tom Brady's on my roster, which is right. why this season is going to be very interesting. But yes. it, do you think that's what's going on with across the league with these with, with, with the Bill O'Briens, with these Matt Patricias, with these uh, um, Mike Vrabels? Um, you know, Mike Vrabel, he's he's had undoubtedly the most success by even just reaching the AFC championship game with his Titans. But but and also they're paying to keep Derrick Henry, um, which I thought was interesting. And they're a team they've picked off as like vultures. A lot of the te- the players that the that the Patriots won't didn't want to pay like Deion Lewis, who's now a free mm-hmm. agent. But they signed him for two years after he after he left the Patriots. They, they got Logan Ryan and Malcolm Butler. I mean, literally, they were becoming the Patriots South and. Uh, you know, and, and maybe they they've been ha- they've had the most success of the group, but I just look at this and I'm thinking like, man, like, it, I, I look I, I think that there's a, there could be a trend here. Whereas you look at other coaches who have gone on, you know, who 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 are of Bill Belichick's age, like you know, or people that we've seen kind of go through the league, and you have like you know Chuck Chuck Knowles coaching tree, Tony Dungy, bam, right. like that legend, straight straight up, right there. Um, Bill Cower, not as much. You know, Ken Wisenhunt, Mike Mularkey some has some guys come out there. Uh, you know, Wisenhunt almost got a Super Bowl until the Steelers, you know, fucked that. Um, <laughs> but, uh, uh, but you know, you you look you look around you look around the league and you see Bill Belichick's guys trying to replicate the system. Do you think it's that they they really believe this whole the, the mantra that you don't need stars, but the problem is that <laughs> they don't have Tom Brady. I think it's this thing where, and it's not just it's not just with Belichick guys. I think that the guy that, you know, when I look at as far as trying to get an understanding of what Bill Belichick has done and maybe get the best understanding, the guy I tend to gravitate towards is some kind of parallel is Nick Saban. When you mm. look at some Nick Saban guys and see what they've done, it's an entirely different dynamic. Nick Saban assistants, you know, they've, they've gone on to do some pretty decent things. And he's even got to this thing where he brings in guys with maybe some damaged reputations or maybe, you know, they're in need, in need of a little, you know, career career rehabilitation. And he kind of, you know, changes some guys' careers around and they kind of move on to bigger and better things. So when you see Saban assistants moving on to college football, maybe accomplishing some things here and there, I mean, very few of them have come back to really give him a hard time and beat him. That's a different story. But, you know, they're at least back in the situation and they're competing. Kirby Smart, you know, shows up at Georgia and starts to get some things done there. So you're at least seeing, you know, Saban assistants have some measure of success. But you don't see that with Belichick assistants. And I think the difference is, and this is just my opinion, it's just observations of of things that I've seen. I think the difference is Nick Saban has a way of, I think, helping guys understand that, you know, there are certain principles that you want to maintain but you also have to find a way to do it your way. 
you know, you want to find certain kinds of kids that can play the way, you know, you want them to play. But at the same time, you got to have your own personal touch on it and find a way what works for you. And I think his assistants have done that. I don't think Belichick's assistants have. I don't think they've been able to find ways to both find the players they need and try to coach a team or, or run an organization the best way that works for them. I think the difference between the best coaches in the league, between the Sean Paytons and the Bill Belichick's and the yeah. Mike Tomlin's and the Pete Carroll's, they all have specific principles that they follow, but they also run their organizations in the way that best makes sense for them. That's why they're able to be successful because not everybody's going to do everything the exact same way. I'll throw Andy Reid in that particular pot too, because I think Andy Reid has been a guy who's been able to kind of reinvent himself and change the way he does things and change the way he views certain players. I think the approach that he's taken to Kansas City and how they built that offense and built the Super Bowl winning team, I think that's is, uh, something that I think is is commendable because you have to be able to find something that works for you and works for the group that you have. And if there's something I'm looking at that seems to be the same symptom, maybe you put it with former Belichick assistants, that might be it. Now, Mike Vrabel is different because he played under Belichick but didn't coach under him. But he was assistant at Houston. He was assistant at Ohio State. But I think Mike Vrabel has found a way to make it work for him in Tennessee. And I think we saw it in that Tennessee versus New England game. That playoff game, I think we learned that, hey, Mike Vrabel's figuring this out. You know, he might not try to be Belichick, but at least he learned what worked for him. And more importantly, he figured out how to beat Belichick. And that's the more important thing. So if you have a couple of Belichick assistants, maybe Brian Flores is that first guy, like I just mentioned before. Maybe Brian Flores is able to figure out Miami. Hey, how do I make this work with this group that's best for me? And and still keep some of those principles that he keeps from New England. If you can do that, maybe he takes off. Maybe. Um, yeah, I, I think it's going to be interesting what Flores is able to put together. I want to switch back to some Steelers uh, talk right now, just with with some of the news that's, that's out there. Did you get a chance, Josh, to see the video of Antonio Brown training with Deontay Johnson? I did. I what did. did you think about that? Because I got my own thoughts, but I wanted you to do it. <laughs> I, see, here's the thing. <laughs> I was waiting to see that the pitchforks in the streets. And I remember, wait, everybody's supposed to stay home. So you weren't going to see that. <laughs> so like, you know, maybe, maybe coronavirus, the, the, the effects of this aren't that bad because maybe it might've stopped a riot in the streets of Pittsburgh. But he, here's how I look at it. If you want to talk about the man's character and what he's done off the field and how he's conducted himself, then by all means go in on Antonio Brown. You'd be well within your right and you wouldn't be unjustified. But if you want to talk about how the man trains and how he prepares and how he takes care of his body to be a very, very good wide receiver in the NFL for a sustained period of time and do some things over that period of time that no other receiver in the league's history had ever done, then it makes sense for me to Mm. see him working out with Deontay. It's how you want to look at it. Are you looking at Antonio Brown, the individual Are you looking at him as far as his work ethic as a wide receiver in the NFL who trained unlike most wide receivers in the NFL? As far as work ethic goes, I'm probably putting Jerry Rice and maybe a couple other guys above him as far as how he prepares for a season and maintains himself during a season. He takes fantastic care of his body when how he prepares and how he goes through a season. And there aren't many guys who did it better than he did. So if that's the case, if you're looking at that alone, Maybe it makes a little bit of sense, but if you're looking at everything else and him possibly being a bad influence, then yeah, you're probably a little bit scared. But if I'm Deontay, I'm picking his brain for everything I can get from him 
and learning every single trick of the trade that he did. Because if I can train or prepare or maintain like that dude did, it probably mm-hmm. makes my career better in the long run. If you could put everything else to the side, of course. No, I agree. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I just I, I look at this and I see a chance for uh, Deontay Johnson to work and improve and um, become, become the complete receiver he is. And, and I, I made this comparison early on. A lot of people were like, oh, he's Antonio Brown. I'm like, mm, I think he's more San Antonio Holmes. And, and right. they're very yes. in, in how they, they create separation. Uh, you know, they're not they're not necessarily burners, but they are they are explosive with the ball in their hands and they make people miss and they run really sharp routes. Um, I know everyone's really concerned right now about, oh man, you know, is, is Antonio Brown going to get influence over him or, or something like that? I don't, I, I, I don't sweat that necessarily. I think Deontay Me either. has, uh, I, I think he kind of gets it now. Maybe Antonio Brown is trying to work his good graces to show that he's, that he can, that he can work with people and maybe try to get back in the Steelers good graces. But I, I don't think that, that that's ever going to happen. Honestly, I think the Steelers have kind of, you know, they've, they've cut those ties. And, and, you know, once you've, once you've nuked a bridge like that, they're not going to just bring a guy back. But I, I also, I really consider Josh that Deontay Johnson is, it, you know, he, he comes off like, like a guy that seems like a hard worker. You don't see him, you don't see him mouthing off a lot. He kind of mm-hmm. does his own thing. The Steelers need a playmaker. They need a creator, you know, and I talked about that at the running back position. And I think that they've got, a guy like that in Juju, I think they've got to like that in James Washington, but they need a guy who does the San Antonio Holmes role and can be the return man. I mean, Deontay Johnson became one of the best returners in the, in the league in short time, um, simply because there weren't a lot of great returners this year. Uh, so I, I don't have a whole bunch of problems with it. I would, but you know, you know, myself, I know some people do, but you know, you know, and, and you know, I was, I was listening to Adam Crowley on ESPN Pittsburgh and he was joking around like, <laughs> what are you doing? Um, <laughs> And, and, and certainly it raises eyebrows. If, if nothing else, it, you know, it, it raises eyebrows for, for Steelers fans and the Steelers organization itself. But I, I think that at the end of the day, people are going to look at this and say, Deontay just wants to get better. First off, shout out to Adam Crowley. Shout out to the homie. Love Adam. Man. Oh man. Love Adam. And he, he has a great show. I love listening to him. Man. He cracks me up. It's you broke it down pretty well. I thought as far as, the, the need for a playmaker and Deontay Johnson has shown that I think he has shown that given the opportunity that he is both reliable as far as being able to catch the ball when it's thrown to him and also turning that into opportunities to make plays. Here's what I like the Steelers wide receiver situation. And just in this particular instance, just with three, three these three guys, James Washington, Juju Smith-Schuster, Deontay Johnson, they're all three different types of receivers. I think that's what makes them dangerous. I think the challenge now is putting these guys in the right position where, okay, let's get the most out of this guy. Let's get the most out of this guy here. Let's see what we can do with this to move this guy around. I think if they do that, you have a much better level of production out of all three. Me personally, I'd love to see James Washington on the outside, Deontay Johnson on the outside, and move Juju around. Whether you're putting them in motion, whether you're putting them in the slot, give him opportunities to do some things in space because you know what Washington can do on the outside. You know what he can do as a deep threat. You know what Deontay Johnson can do maybe off the line in that flanker spot, maybe getting some a little bit of separation and all he needs is a little bit of space and maybe he can make a play or two. And then you move Juju around because maybe that's the extra element that makes the other two guys, you know, that makes it all mesh together. So I would love to see 
how they put these guys in positions to succeed in this upcoming season. But I agree with you. I think Deontay Johnson is the guy that's on deck to be that playmaker in the San Antonio Holmes mold as a returner. They finally have guys that can return and do it well. How long has that been since they had guys that could, could return? Was Antonio Brown the last guy that was a half-reliable returner? It's been that long. So, yeah, I kind of have those same high hopes for Deontay Johnson, not just as a returner, but as a receiver as well. And I'll say this again. If he could pick up the slightest advantage or the slightest thing that made Antonio Brown better than most guys, if he can learn that for himself, then that's just a situation that gets even better. No, I, I agree. And I think that's why uh, that's why I don't think that this is necessarily bad. Now, if Deontay Johnson comes in and, and, and you see some attitude issues come up, maybe you talk about that. But, you know, I, I give the benefit of the doubt. Again, these are grown men. These, these, these are adults. Mm-hmm. Treat them like 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 such, and you know. So so I with with that, I don't think that. Uh, before I get into my final point on this, I don't think that people understand that you know a, a person can train with somebody and not you know eat the meat off the bone. Don't eat, don't eat the bone. You know you you, right. you can you can get the the the, the physical value of, of of working without necessarily taking in someone's whole belief system. Um, and, and people do that every day. There's plenty of coaches out there and players that disagree on a lot of things. But when it comes to making football happen, they can they can put the, that that aside and and go forth and conquer. Um, and also, I mean, this is Mike Tomlin's mantra. Like, you know, he doesn't get up in everybody's business unless they're unless they're making a fool for making a fool of themselves. And he and he will like make a make a quick statement like how D'Angelo Williams was one time he was popping off about uh, Peyton Manning and other things. And mm-hmm. you saw Mike Tomlin jump in on Twitter and say, you know, D- yeah, D'Angelo, quit while you ahead. And he was like, okay, coach. And it's like those type of moments will step in. But it, in general, I you know, I get the sense that. Mike Tomlin lets his guys, you know, you're, you're grown men. You're going to do what you what, what You're going to make your own decisions. You're going to make your own mistakes and have your own successes. Uh, and that's part of why I think a lot of people respect him. He doesn't treat them like kids. Um, and you know, and I, I brought this up on yesterday's show. I don't think that, that what happened with Bill O'Brien would happen under Mike Tomlin because he mm-hmm. doesn't treat people like that. Um, so I, I don't have a whole bunch of problems with this. Now, again, if, if problems arise in camp, then then we could talk about that. But Deontay Johnson so far has has shown none of those issues. And I think they're very excited to see what he brings to the table. And again, if this guy, and again, he worked out with Antonio Brown. It's not like he he said, oh, that's my big brother. And I, I, I look up to everything he does. Uh, he's my role model. Because stuff like that, that's different. But working out with a guy, that that doesn't mean anything. There are players that work out together all the time. I'm glad you pointed that out. There are players from different teams that work out all the time. They, they come from different walks of life. And these guys, you know, they feed off of each other. They learn from each other. And they they find out better ways to do what they do. Because, yeah, when the, when the lights are on and they're inside the white lines, they're on different teams, they're competitors. But outside of it, they're guys in the same workforce. They're doing the same job. You know, it, it's, it's not like when 20, 30 years ago, when you were on the other team, you were considered an enemy. These players are different. They're they're part of the same workforce. They realize that. And I think now completely unrelated to this, but I think that's why in some instances now, and especially in sports like the NBA, you see players have a lot more solidarity and a lot more power because they don't just see themselves as competitors. They see themselves as colleagues. They see themselves as equals. So they're able to put some of the other stuff aside and say, hey, how can I raise my level to be as good as this guy or, or learn to be, you know, as prolific as this guy, if I can find out from him you know, firsthand. And that's really how I'm looking at this and nothing further. I'm right with you there. Uh, so we are, we are of one accord in, in that situation. Um, 
So uh, I, I think that I think that's uh, that, that's the adult way to look at this at this. And I don't think that people should be tripping, per se, um, you know, when it comes to looking at this and thinking, oh, man, he's he can't you know, he, he's making a huge mistake here. Right. Um, uh, so, yeah, so that that's that I, I'm, I'm glad I'm glad we see eye, eye on that. Um, but uh, but Josh, thank you for coming on the show. Um, please, please let everyone know where they can follow you or find more of your work. Josh Taylor HD, that is on Facebook, that's on Twitter, that's on Instagram. It's who I am, it's where I'm from, I keep it simple. Um, be sure to check us out Sunday morning, uh, 7 a.m. to 10 a.m., 93.7 The Fan. Chris will be one of my guests during the show, too. We'll be talking Woo! We'll be talking Steelers, we'll be flipping the roles a little bit. Maybe I'll be asking Chris if a couple of things are a thing here and there. More than likely, I probably will, because that's what we do. <laughs> but yeah, we'll be doing that Sunday morning, so I'm looking forward to doing this again in a couple of days, brother. Got you, man. Thanks for being on the show, Josh. And everyone, remember, if you're enjoying the podcast, please hit the subscribe button. Hit that. Leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. Thanks to all those who already have. You really help us promote the show. Um, also, if you want to follow me, follow me on Twitter at Carter Critiques. You follow me, I'll follow you back. Him with the at, him with the DM. Always on the chat with you guys. Also, don't forget, Mock Draft Monday is coming. So if you want to participate in Mock Draft Monday, the post is going to be in the Facebook group. You can find that by searching Locked On Steelers on Facebook, asking to join the group. I'll add you as soon as I can. I'll make a post on Friday. You post, you, you post a snapshot of your mock draft, and who knows, maybe your mock draft will be the best one and get featured here on Mock Draft Monday. So with that, have a good weekend, everybody. Stay safe. Keep washing your hands. Keep yourself clean. And hopefully we'll make it into Monday and we're having a good conversation about what moves the Steelers made in free agency.